0: Бабушка, бабушка, бабушка. babushka, бабушка. Hi, my name is Alia, and welcome to my section of the Babushka Podcast. This is where I go back in time to the Russia of the past and look at it through the eyes of notable people living there. I'm glad you decided to keep me company. How do we get there, you ask? Oh, through letters. These people sure did write a lot. And why letters? Well, it seems to me that while reading them, we do not only feel the experiences and dreams of people of the past, but also restore the appearance of Russian culture which was presented in their memories. Hmm. And for our first episode, I chose the letters of a Soviet psychologist who was one of the first in the Soviet Union to look into child psychology, the letters of Vasily Sukhamlinsky. I'd like to think that you will be as mesmerized by the amount of tenderness, hope, and excitement in these letters as I am. Today, I will try to recapture the atmosphere of the Soviet Union in the second half of the 20th century when Sukhamlinsky began to keep his numerous diaries. As I have already mentioned, Suhamlinsky was a psychologist, one of the most famous of his time, matter of fact. But before he became one, he enlisted in World War II in 1941 to fight the Nazis. During the war, he was injured when a shell fragment got stuck in his chest. It remained there for the rest of his life. But that war didn't cause only physical harm and Suhamlinsky wasn't the only one who had been hurt. The horrors of war that many Soviet people had to witness and experience during those years changed their lives forever. I doubt that there was someone who went through war and came back the same person. It was especially hard on young people. There were millions of young men, boys even, faking their IDs in order to get drafted to fight for their country. They thought they knew what they were getting themselves into, but I don't think it was or even will be possible for a young mind to fully comprehend the atrocities of war. Many of them who survived, cared for life, and even if they tried to hide it after the initial triumphal joy of 1945, the overall mood in the post-war Soviet society spoke for itself. However, the war also showed people the value of human life and changed their perspective. This was the case for Sukhominsky. The war had a significant impact on his psychological doctrine. In his approach, he treated human life with awe and refused to recognize violence in any shape or form. Moreover, he put family above all and started looking into children's problems as he was convinced that the future depended on them. In one of his letters, he wrote, My concern for academic success begins with caring about how a child eats and sleeps how they feel, how they play, how many hours during the day they spend outside, what books they read and what fairy tales they listen to, what they draw and how they express their thoughts and feelings in the drawing, what feelings the music of nature awakens in their souls, which fairy tale is their favorite, how they perceive the joys and adversities of others, what they created for others and what feelings they experienced in this regard. Kukamlinsky related closely to the experiences of children and sympathized with them. But at the same time, he didn't think it was appropriate for parents to show their weaknesses in front of a child, and being a parent himself, was rather strict to his own children. The family relationships he built were similar to many others during this time period. They actually remind me about the ones depicted in the books of Russian classics Tolstoy, Dostoevsky. A parent is seen as that well-respected figure who takes the moral high ground and keeps some distance between them and their children. A parent loves a child, there is no doubt, but acts rather as a mentor than as a friend. This comes as no surprise if we consider that many people of that time went through war and felt like they had to pass their experience and wisdom to their sons and daughters so that they wouldn't allow the same thing to happen in the future. This fact can be illustrated through the letters of Suhamlinsky to his son Sergei, who left the family nest to enter the university. Some of these letters sound a lot like instructions. Begin your day early in the morning, about 6 or so. Get up at 5.30, do some exercises, have a cup of milk and a bun. Don't get used to drinking tea, you will have time for that when you're old. And start working then. Once you get used to starting your workday at 6am, try to start working 15-20 minutes before 6. Rather strict, right? Imagine being in your 20s and getting a letter where your dad instructs you about what you should and should not eat for breakfast. But this is not the point, of course. The point is that Suchamlinsky was a very caring father who wanted to make his son's life easier, even if sometimes it could come across as overcontrolling. However, this kind of relationship between fathers and sons was considered completely normal, maybe even exemplary. But if you think that there was no room for tenderness, our writer proves you wrong. Just look how he finishes his letter to Sergei. Dear son, develop your human qualities. Don't forget Van Gogh's words. How can a man come to know himself? Never by thinking, but by doing. Try to do your duty and you will know at once what you're worth. I wish you the very best of health and a cheerful spirit. Hugs and kisses, your father. So Suchamlinsky's example helps us to draw a mental image of an average head of the family of that time. A wounded man who struggles to express his love properly, but still strives to protect his children from the hardships he had to overcome. But it is important to understand that this is a best case scenario. Many men came back from war traumatized past the point of no return and could not be role models for their children even if they tried to. As you can see, we keep coming back to the theme of war today, which is quite justified. It's impossible to talk about the second half of the 20th century without considering the mark that the World War II left on every Soviet family. Another important aspect of Russian reality we can look at through the prism of Sukhamlinsky's letters is the attitudes of Soviet society to a socialist regime and its future. In his diaries, the psychologist describes the USSR socialist reality with a certain pride. Imagine that our life, our everyday work would be seen by those long gone, by people for whom a just social system was a distant future, a mere captivating dream. Imagine that they would see our life, take a closer look at it, understand the contribution of millions of builders of the new world. What would their hearts tell them? What would they feel and think? Their hearts would have fluttered with awe. They would see our time, our whole life, as ideal. Any of these heroes would say, this is the life I sacrifice my life for. Looking back at this letter from the perspective of our present, we might find the hopes and aspirations expressed by Suhamlinsky naïve and the concept of socialism way too romanticized. However, Sukhomlinsky was not alone in thinking that the socialist regime was an attribute of an ideal world. For many Soviet people, it was a lifelong dream, a way to salvation, a means of building a perfect society and achieving equality. Apart from that, Sukhomlinsky was concerned with more sublime things, morality, love, honor. What I find especially interesting and indicative of the societal tendencies of that time is his views on love. Love without friendship is shallow. If a young man respects a young woman as a person, then this sublime, noble friendship is just as beautiful as love. People who hope to build a spiritual alliance based on love as a sexual attraction do not value love because they seek to squeeze the whole world of spiritual life into kisses and jealousy. Love without a higher spiritual life, without striving for a single ideal, without friendship for the sake of it, turns into sensual pleasure. What a poetical understanding of love! There is also an amazing, in its representativeness, piece about Suchamlinsky's attitude to PDA, public displays of affection. I am worried about promiscuity in a mild form which many young people suffer from. In broad daylight, a young man and a young woman hug or even kiss walking down a crowded street. I once asked a girl, doesn't it bother you that you're in public? She replied, does friendship have to be hidden? This is an unwise response from a girl who is ready for giving birth physically, but not mentally. It is stupid and cynical to flaunt something that should be deeply intimate, private, sacred. A boy is 18 years old, he likes a girl, and he is already hugging and kissing her. It's promiscuity. Keeping both extracts in mind, it is not hard to trace these statements to a common way of thinking in the USSR when it comes to such tender sentiments. Very passionate and loving in their nature, Soviet people preferred to keep their affectionate feelings to themselves. Loudly proclaiming or demonstrating your love to someone was considered bad form. Kids in many Soviet families had never seen their parents kissing or hugging, not because they didn't love each other, but rather because love was something very intimate and personal, something that could be shared only between two people. Not only because of that, during Soviet times, families didn't have a habit to share their love openly, especially parents. They didn't talk about intimate things like even love because of many factors. For example, it is a result of hard times their generations lived in, the Second World War, revolutions, and so on. It is a deep psychological fact that formed relationship between them and children and was a part of everyday life. So you can see why showing signs of affection on the streets was out of the question. And physical manifestation of love, aka sex, was a taboo topic. Such beliefs were so deeply rooted in people's minds that their long-term influence could be found even decades later in the mass culture, education and people's everyday lives. Ultimately, these ideas led to an appearance of an iconic phrase, there is no sex in the USSR, coined by a Soviet woman in 1986. Military past, strong parental mentorship, idealistic views on society, exhalated understanding of love, It's amazing how all that could fit into one person. But it wasn't only Vasily Sukhomlinsky who could be characterized by these virtues in the 20th century. Today, we've managed to piece together not only a portrait of one particular man, but also a collective image of people of that era and of the country they lived in. But our journey comes to an end, and we must get back to our present time. Let us know what period of Russian history we should visit next, and we will be happy to go there with you.